0: This is Shopify Masters, the e commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14 day trial, visit Shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actual tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Forever Spin talked about an untapped customer base on crowdfunding sites. On today's episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that trimmed the fat from her business and focused on just doing one thing better than her competitors. In this episode, you'll learn what is the patent process like and why you might want to get one for your products, what Damon John's team did to improve their manufacturing process, and how can rapid growth put you out of business? Today, I'm joined by Sarah Marie Moylan from SheFit.com. That's S H E F I T.com. SheFit is a high impact sports bra that gives you your bra your way. And it was started in 2012 and based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Thank you for having me. We're excited to be on the show with
0: you. Awesome. So, tell us a little bit more about your story. And what are some of the what are, What is the most popular product that you sell?
1: So we, so my company is called SheFit and we sell fully custom adjustable sports bras. Uh, We have a patent on our adjustability and basically it gives the user the ability to set their own fit. We say it's your bra and it's your way.
0: Awesome. So what is your background? How did you get involved in creating a bra? Like what do you have experience in this uh, industry?
1: No, it's actually kind of funny. Um, so I, I'm a sales rep by day. Um, that's been my day job basically since I've graduated from college. I have a degree in uh, public relations and broadcast journalism um, and been in sales ever since I've been out of school. Um, I'm a fitness competitor, an athlete, always been an athlete, very active. And um, I was a, trying to obtain my pro card and got pregnant with my first child. And my workout regimens are rather intense and pretty high impact. And uh <laughs> the story goes. I mean, my chest just was literally out of control when you're pregnant, and nice. uh, your body's changing. Um, it definitely took its toll on me, and I found myself very quickly wearing two and three bras at a time. Um, uh, not only was i wearing two and three bras at a time but at that time um i was it was turning into be a super self-conscious type of issue wherever i went i felt like people were staring at me um i was bouncing all over the place it turned into me having extreme amounts of pain um in my neck and my back and my shoulders and i just was walking away from workouts that i normally wouldn't walk away from and it just i grew depressed so i kind of just decided to take the bull by the horns at the time um, prior to wearing the two to three, or when I was wearing the two to three bras, I was pulling the excess in the rib band and in the shoulder strap area with rubber bands. So I was pulling all the excess and like rubber banding it at where I wanted it to fit me. So after I had gotten sick of that, I just decided to take some bras, um, I was using probably some of the best bras in the market, some some big branded bras and I, I just cut them up. I cut them up and hot glued and um, needle and thread and um, kind of came up with my own concoction. Never at the time thinking that I would ever be starting a business. I was literally just trying to solve my own problem. And from there, it kind of took on a shape of its own. It really turned into um, the prototype being quite functional. And um, I found it being better than what I was using, better than anything I could buy. But it was falling apart on me because I couldn't sew. So I just took it to a local seamstress, um, bought some fabrics that I wanted her to make me something out of, and she made one. And it was at that point when, after having worn that bra for several months, that I knew if i was dealing with this problem other women were and i started to take note of other women bouncing uncontrollably when i was driving to and from or when i was at the gym and just kind of started talking to women and that's when the light bulb just clicked and i thought well maybe i maybe you know i need to help other women solve the same problem and um, from there, it kind of took on a life of its own. That's a whole another. That's a whole another side of the story. But that's how it started. I was really trying to solve my own problem, and in turn, led to um, a business idea.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's a pretty common path where people are trying to solve their own problem. And you know, you, so you you made your own bra at first at home, decided to take the seamstress to to build something a little bit more uh, durable. And then once you had that that prototype, you you did you start just start talking to other women, and asking them if they have this problem. Like, how did you know that you that it was, I guess, a validated business idea that is something that, that was worth pursuing?
1: Yeah. Well, at first, um, I've actually got my partner here in the in the office with me. He's working on some other stuff. He happens to be my other better half on most of the days. But he's uh, Bob. He was on Shark Tank with me as well, and um, he, you know, he just kind of rolled his eyes at the time. You know, I had a full time sales job, and um, I was trying to work with uh, a patternist. Um, that was two and a half hours away from me. We have a mutual friend that owns a dance recital company and they make costumes. And I, I basically uh, asked if they would let me use their patternist if I paid for her time and drove to her because I needed to develop uh, basically a product at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so for several years, I drove back and forth in between, you know, day job, and he just always would roll his eyes and say whatever. And it was probably to the point when I actually had finally made a handful of them and passed them out to friends and asked them to use them. Um, when they wouldn't give them back. And when they did give them back, they were like literally hanging on by a thread. And Mm -hmm. they were like, can you just fix this so I can have it back? When I think he kind of realized that maybe I was onto something too. And we just decided at that point to kind of dive into it and really give it a go. And that's when we explored the whole Kickstarter option. But we really did validate it first for sure. Um, Even with the small test group that we used at the time, that was a little over 10 women. um, I really tried to pick women that, um, we were, they weren't, I mean, they were friends, they were acquaintances, but not like really good friends. I wanted them to be honest, give me feedback. I, I picked women, um, that I knew were spending a significant money on their workout equipment, which, and clothing. Um, and, and that's kind of who I started with. And we validated that pretty quickly. Um, from there we kind of uh, were, were, you know, got our hands taken and kind of, you know, under the wing of some really amazing mentors here in our community. And they just advised us to, uh, you know, go to to California, go to the fashion district, you know, go see if you can find someone to make this and find fabrics. And at the time I had no experience, you know, I was just really good at my day job, which was sales. And um, I decided to hop on a plane and I thought it was going to be glitz and glamour and it was going to be beautiful, you know, the fashion district. And I got there and was quickly uh, awakened by the the, the fact that it was not that and um, I didn't know where to start I, I you know I basically paved the paved the ground I, I called a friend and asked her to come down and help me and basically be there for moral support and uh, five days later I came back with um, I found a patternist. Um, who actually had done a lot of work for uh, a, another big company on the side. I got lucky. I was talking to a couple vendors at a very small zipper factory in the fashion district, and someone gave me her number. So I ended up um, connecting with a patternist. I ended up getting my fabrics all there, and then I ended up, through talking to this patternist, I had found my manufacturer. I came home, and I did all of it over the phone. I never met my manufacturer face-to-face, which had come back to be a big a big up. Uh, area of uh, problems and but one of the early on mistakes that we made for sure Um, but I came back with all those three things put it together did another small run of bras tested a bigger group of people and and the same thing came about they were all very interested they wanted to keep the product they wanted more and from there we decided to really give it the soft test uh, launch with the Kickstarter campaign.
0: That's awesome. So I want to talk about a few things you mentioned there. Uh, one of them is about testing. I think this is a, a step that a lot of entrepreneurs are, are, are at, where they are thinking about starting a business, but they want to, you know, make sure they do the validation the right way and do it at a smaller scale. So you said you started with ten people at first, and then and then uh, went with bigger tests from there. So what what happens in these tests? Like, what are you looking for to get the kind of information that you need to make the, I guess, the business decisions that you ended up making? Like, what were you? How'd you set up the test? Like, what were you asking? them like what was the kind of interaction like
1: Up until this year, um, it's been a one man team. It's literally been me. And then my husband at the time was just, you know, um, helping me with the budget in terms Mm -hmm. of like setting aside the money and figuring out if we could do this. You know, we've, we've done everything on our own, uh, solely on our own, um, financially by ourselves. So at this time it, it was just me, I was a one man show. So I wouldn't say it was anything too technical. I mean, I, I made a spreadsheet and I listed a bunch of questions down and I gave them the bra and just asked them to use it until I got back to them. Um, And then I went over the types of fabrics, you know, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they liked and what they didn't like of the current bras that they were using on the market, what they would pay for uh, that type of product. Um, If I could change anything about it, what would I change? You know, just all the things that gave me the insight to making the product even better um, prior to going into our Kickstarter launch. I also um, had came home from the fashion district at that point and I wanted um, some type of credibility factor to, to the product. So I decided to reach out to a local uh, plastic surgeon who happens to be a globally renowned, uh, well sought after thought leader in the breast aesthetic space. Um, his name is Dr. Bradley Bangston, and. Um, I knew if I could get someone like him on board in terms of like stamping it for approval or giving me some type of insight as I built the bra, that that would be even better. And from from first meeting, um, he was blown away with the concept and the product and agreed that there was a major need for this. And um, not only post-surgically, for all the post-surgical things that can happen in the breast Sector, if you will, but also for just women in general, because um, any type of repetitive balance over time creates sag in those ligament, in those Cooper's ligaments, which. If you're young, if you're if you if you know if you want to protect your breasts from sag, uh, whatever it may be, you have to you have to wear some type of good sports bra. And so we really had him on board from the beginning, and he really helped ask the right appropriate questions as well in terms of us building the bra. So we went back to the to uh, the drawing board with the patternist. I redesigned quite a few things. I changed the fabrics, and we launched it at that time in our Kickstarter campaign with with probably from when I had started with my first patternist to when I had, I had launched that Kickstarter bra, we had probably went through at least, I mean, at least 20 or so versions of the bra when we launched finally the Kickstarter one. And fast forward from Kickstarter to now, and we're now on our third division, our third version, excuse me, of that original bra, which now I feel like we're finally at the point with the bra now where this version will become our staple product it will become like the original bra um, that we will now build all of our styles from I think that we've gotten it to the point where it just cannot get any better I know that I know that it can get better don't get me wrong but this particular style we've improved on so many times I'm just so happy with where it's at and it's all been due to testing and collaboration and and my own need for for the best product out there
0: I really like that you partner with a thought leader for credibility. I think it's an important, uh, not an important step, but I think it's, uh, it, it did a lot of things for you, right? Because now you you have the backing of somebody that was a thought leader, an expert in the space, and you're, by being partnered with them or by having them associate with you, you borrow that kind of credibility from them. So can you talk, talk a little more about this? I don't think this is something that yeah. a lot of stores do, but it sounds like it makes a lot of sense. Like, why did you feel like you needed the credibility? Like, what did you experience or what was going on that felt like that made you you feel like I wanted to partner with somebody that was a thought leader, that is an influencer in the in the space, or is an expert on the topic.
1: Well, first off, I think um, when we decided to jump all in and like we knew we were we knew we were going to start with Kickstarter, we had we stepped back and we knew we were building a brand. And so my biggest thing is, especially when you're dealing with from my perspective, I feel like this is the most important piece of equipment a female athlete has before we put on our tennis shoes, our shorts. It doesn't matter. The first thing we put on, um, and it, you don't even have to be an athlete. You can just be, you know, that weekend runner or that woman who, who's going to a class once a week. It doesn't matter. The first thing you put on to go do something physical is always your sports bra. It is literally a piece of equipment. So to me, I looked at this a completely different, I, was building a sports bra brand. And knowing a lot more now than I know then, I knew that we really, in order to penetrate the market the way that I was hoping we could penetrate the market, we had to do one thing better than everybody else was doing it. And and, and it had to have relevance behind it. And I just felt that by bringing in a thought leader like Dr. Bangston, it would just give us that credibility factor that yes, there's a need for this, and yes, from a medical perspective, it can help. Um, and there's a lot of studies out there actually on sports bras, a lot of studies out there on sports bras, um, that talk to a lot of the things that, that Dr. Bangston talked about with women that don't even have surgical, um, types of procedures. You know, um, a lot of women that are naturally big busted or women that just in general, um, are not big busted, our breasts all move in the same direction and they all move the same way, whether they're big or they're small. And if we want to create the ability to not have sag down the road, the one of the only ways to do that is to wear the proper piece of equipment. And so that is why from the beginning, I just thought it was really important um, to bring him on board. Now, stepping back, um, we have a patent on the product. So do we need the credibility factor? no. Do we need it as we move forward? No, but I just think that it shows um, the value that we're putting into the brand in the business when we're working on the types of products that we want to release to our consumers uh, I, I just that's the kind of brand that we're building um, that's been ingrained in us since we've started and I just really think it's important that if you're setting out to build or be one of the the best, you know products in the industry then you really should be leaning into some of the the best thought leaders in the industry as well and that's kind of how I looked at it and 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 Bangston has been instrumental in that and you know obviously he endorses our products so there's obviously a financial uh, aspect on that end of it for him as well but he also brings so much to the table for us i think it's a win-win situation for the two of us for sure
0: you, you said something there that earlier on that that really stood out to me you said that you knew you had to do some, one thing better than everyone else and had to have relevance. Can you say a little bit more about this? Like, What, what do you mean by the one thing that's better and what do you mean by the, the relevance um, uh, point?
1: Yeah, well, I think first off, when any entrepreneur starts out to do a business, they, they and maybe this could just be me, but, um, you, you tend to have so many things on your plate that it's really hard to stay focused. Okay. When we launched SheFit and when we launched our Kickstarter campaign, we actually launched with a bra and a full line of apparel, which looking back was another one of my early mistakes because I was spreading myself myself so thin and what we needed to really do was focus on the one thing that set us apart. From the beginning when we launched Kickstarter and we started PR, everything that came all the interest that came and we got a lot of big interest early on was not around the apparel it was around the bra and so after kickstarter and after like stepping back and re reorganizing refocusing we realized that As much as we knew we were building a brand, and and we still are, um, we eventually want to have a full line of apparel and girls' apparel and women's apparel and everything. We know that we have to step back and we have to focus on the one thing that's going to make us stand out and the one thing that our brand will be known for, and that's our bra. If you look at some of the big competitors in the athletic space, if you think about the top three brands, if you will. And I'm sure a lot of you, if you're listening to this, or even you yourself, Felix, can probably say that three big ones come to mind. You don't know them for everything that they offer. You know them for the one thing that made them famous. And that is really how we have tried to do the same thing. We want to step back and focus on the one thing that's going to catapult catapult our brand and be the best out of everyone in that one sector so that when we finally get to the point when we can build on and add other components and scale the business, we've built that credibility with the backbone product of what makes our brand famous or different or unique or known for. And that's why we've decided to do that.
0: I love that because I always say that order is important. Like doing things in a specific order is important. You think, we think, you know, we want to launch a, a massive company, a massive brand, and have all these ideas for all these products we want to offer. And we think, you know, why not do it all at once? Why not put all these things out at once? Because eventually we want to get there anyway. Why right. not get a head start? And, but the problem is that what you're saying, right, you're spread too thin, not just for, not not only is it a problem for yourself and your focus, and your energies, but then also co- could confuse the customer. They don't think of, your brand as as you know the, the best at one thing. They think of you as, no, you gotta offer everything, so right. we're not sure what's important for you. So I think that's a really important point, that you can have these big dreams, you can have these goals for more and more things, but don't do it all at once, right? Don't put it all at once because it's not only gonna be, you might not get the traction you need for yourself because you're burning yourself out, and could also confuse your customers, and you might not be able to get customers to, to the point where they are ready to learn more about all your other offerings.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And the thing is, is like looking back, to be honest, and everybody who knows me, I mean, I move a million miles a minute. I'm so passionate about everything that we're doing. I, I tell you, like... I I I hear it. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I'm at a loss of words for sometimes how how excited and and what I believe that we're capable of achieving. And and there's been a lot of people that have had to wrangle me in. And I think this is the case with a lot of entrepreneurs. They get so passionate. They want to do so many things. And but I've had the right people around me to kind of wrangle me in and say, okay, listen, we can't do this, 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 and this and this right now, Sarah. We just you are really good at bras. Let's just focus on bras. And so that's really what I'm. Even now, it's hard for me because I already want to venture into a couple other things and I have to pull back and say, nope, I have made a a dedicated commitment to myself and to my team and to the people that are on board with us um, to really solely focus on being the best in this space until we validated that and we're a player and then we can dabble into some other Mm -hmm. things. And I, I really don't think, especially with our new partnership, I really don't think that we're very far away from that. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty lofty thing to say, but I think you have to have lofty goals and lofty dreams and aspirations if you're going to get there because I have full, I have nothing but, um, you know, I know we're gonna make it. I know we're gonna make it. So we just need to, you know, scale back and, and really focus and get there get there on the right terms.
0: Yeah, I think that getting to that kind of attitude that you have, I think it's only it's not only possible, but it's only it's one of the one of the best ways to to adopt the kind of attitude you have is to have those wins early on. If you're again doing too many different things at once, you feel like you're not making any traction because you're making small incremental, you know, gains spread throughout like ten different things, and it never feels like you're winning anything.
1: Right, you're just constantly running on the on the hamster wheel, and you know you can't be good at everything. What you know mm-hmm. from the beginning, and and to be honest. Like those are some of our early on mistakes—is thinking that we could. So,
0: yeah, totally. And I was going to ask you next. You know, I think I think this is obviously you—you—you feel this way. I feel this way, and listeners out there probably also feel this way. But then the problem is, uh, saying it is a lot harder than doing it. Right? Killing off, you know, quote unquote, killing off pieces of your company or things that you've already created, and even if they're not doing anything at all, because you put the work into it, it's really hard to let go of things that you've already committed not even publicly maybe committed to yourself or start going down this path that you want to go down so what do you do like what did you do back then to say okay you know what let's just focus on bras let's cut everything else out and then what do you do today to make sure you stay on this the right path
1: well, like I said, we, we early on, we lost a lot of money doing that too soon. Um we found that the traction, we had great feedback in the apparel. I mean, we we sold our we sold out of our apparel so fast. We were we reordered a couple times. It was to the point where here's where the decision happened and it, and we decided to stick with it as we were the traction from a publicity standpoint and the thing that was making us stand out and where we were getting all this um, uh, great, great feedback and, um, you know, PR and everything, if you will, is from the bra. Um, even though we were selling like crazy the apparel, people were more interested in the bra. The bra was getting us, you know, the, the talk time, the interest. And so we found ourselves wasting, even though we were selling it, we found ourselves wasting money. um trying to continue to leverage the apparel side of it and, and, you know, move into other things of the apparel, it was taking away from what really helped us define really early the core side of our business, which was the bra.
0: Mm, makes sense. And I, I heard this analogy before too, it's like a baseball analogy where it says that it's a lot easier to get someone or your company or your brand from third base to home than it is to get a bunch of people onto first base because there's already a lot of momentum behind certain things already working focus energy on pushing that and and basically uh, putting all your efforts behind it to get it to roll even faster i think that that's what you guys identified was that people knew what knew you guys for the bra so let's focus on it so maybe an exercise that other listeners out there can go through is yes to find out what your customers consider you as it like what are they if they if you had to ask them to identify you or pick one product that they see you as ask them that or find out what that what they how they see you as a company and then you should really focus on that or you know cut out anything that is not uh, and related to that.
1: Right. Drill down. I mean, it's a hard decision to make. I did not uh-huh. want to walk away from the apparel. We get emails every day of people asking us, you know, when are you going to have your shorts back in? Are you going to have that? And, you know, and then people ask us when we're coming out with apparel. And so we know there's a need and a want there. Um, but but we just really feel that the best plan by far, like you said, and with probably any other company, is, is to do one thing better than everybody else build, build the credibility, build the community, build the following, and then add that stuff in when the time is right.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, that it's gonna be a lot easier at that point too because if you already have credibility and people already know you as a brand in one particular product, it's, it's gonna be a lot easier to introduce a new one than, you know, starting everything from scratch like we were saying earlier.
1: I- And we don't just have the one bra. You know, the nice thing about focusing just on bras is the fact that we can take our adjustable, our patented technology that makes us so unique right now, um, we can take that technology and parlay that onto a plethora of different styles of bras, which is what we're going to do. So as much as we're going to stay in that sports bra sector or the bra sector, because that's the next space that we're kind of creeping into is like, you know, an everyday bra is focusing on bras and bras being plural um, before, you know, diving into Mm. the other stuff so as much as you know it might not sound as fun just focusing on one product it really actually is because it's helping us to really develop our broad line
0: makes sense yeah you're going really deep into just one particular you know type of apparel that makes a lot of sense so what was the the you were mentioned a couple of times about the patent that you have like can you talk a little bit more about that like what is the patent and and what was the process like to get to get a patent
1: um, it wasn't easy. Again, you know, we, we Bob and I didn't know about how to go about any of this stuff. We really had to figure it out all, all on our own. And mm-hmm. thank God for a lot of the steps that you know we ended up taking, and a lot of the looking back mistakes that ended up happening. Thank God they happened because all of those have taught us so much. Um, and it's re- all of it has been a journey to learning it out and figuring it out on our own. I mean, it's nothing for someone to pay a consultant to do a lot of stuff, but unfortunately, in our situation we didn't have the money to pay the consultants and in the areas where we did kind of lean into some expertise to pay for, we found pretty quickly that they didn't care for our business as much mm-hmm. as we did. And we ended up, you know, getting dropped on our, our butts with a lot of things or they weren't doing a lot of things and we had to pick up the slack and figure it out on our own and looking back at some of the best things um, that ever happened to us. But you know, it's just, it's just been um, a cyclical circle and you know, we've been able to, to figure things out a, as we go.
0: That makes sense. You know, no one's going to care about your business as much as you are. So, if you do happen to hire experts or consultants, you know what, what I found works well, and what I've heard other. Um, entrepreneurs talk about is that use those experts and consultants to teach you not to necessarily do it for you, right? To have, exactly. them, have them I teach agree. you, yeah, cut down a learning curve, but then if it's something that's core to your business, you should keep it in-house and use those learnings and, you know, do it yourself basically.
1: I agree. And at the time, um, so, you know, the patent question, uh, you know, kind of circling back to that and in using, you know, experts in consulting, um, we actually leaned into a friend that that knew uh, a retired patent lawyer um who worked for some really great companies and he was just um, retired and missed it and was helping people out on the side and uh, we started with him early on. we couldn't afford unfortunately um, an expensive patent attorney um, but had at the time also had a really good friend that had just uh, graduated from law school and was uh, we were paying him on the side to help us do you know some minor contracts, um, little things that we just couldn't afford um, at a big firm. so I would say lean into your network um, you know, lean into your friends, see. Uh, how you can uh, how they can do something for you and how you can do something for them back, um, but this particular lawyer at the time uh, started us with a provisional patent. The provisional patent definitely saved us some time. We didn't have the money to run right into a, a full fledged patent. So the provisional saved us uh, some money and then gave us some time. And then once the provisional was up after 12 months, uh, we actually had the funds at that point to move on from him and to uh, a, a different attorney, uh, lawyer. And we started the, provi- the patent process. Uh, it was a long process. Um, we had to go back and forth with him um, on several things. We had to have the, you know the CAD drawings, all the intricacies of the product, uh, you know, clearly identified and marked. He, at the time, didn't think that we would get a patent. He actually did not think that we would get a utility patent. He thought we were, we were reaching for way too much, and I disagreed, and I pushed him to push for the utility patent. Um, he thought if we got a design patent, we'd be lucky. Um, we ended up getting a full-fledged utility patent. It's that strong. It's a very, very strong patent.
0: Can you uh, just describe the difference between a design patent and a utility patent?
1: Um, well, so first off, the, the provisional just gives you protectant, you know, protecting uh, for that first 12 months so that you've kind of got something on the books and mm-hmm. you, you've got it on paper. It doesn't cost very much. It's a few hundred dollars. After 12 months, that expires and you basically have to decide what way you're going. A design patent is not as strong as a utility patent. The utility patent has a lot more... Um, a lot more intricacies, um, a lot more things that that you can um, definitely uh, go after somebody for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just much stronger. I'll have to tell you, I'm not the expert, um, but but I wanted the strongest that the we could get. The goal is
0: always to try to get the utility I, patent. Yes, and okay. to always
1: try to get the utility patent. I, I would definitely advise that if you're working with someone or you know, to dig in and, and, and look to see what the differences are, um, there's a, a little bit more money. Uh, it's, it's probably more financially costly with the utility side of it just because it is a stronger patent, but and it takes a little bit more time. Um, so we did eventually get the utility. It was It was honestly, Bob, I mean it was almost three years later. I mean, it took some wow. time to get, the, to get the patent finally approved. Um, in fact, it came last year, our, our uh, final word that it went through. It came last year. Uh, in the same time we started with the patents... We started with the trademarking also of our logo and um, our name. In fact, we ran into um, quite a bit of legality issues with our name early on and ended up settling and we actually won. Um, so, So I would definitely, some advice early on is pay the money to start your trademarks and to start your patents because... A lot of that can stop you dead in your tracks, and I'm really thankful that, looking back, we paid the extra money, even though it was a, it was definitely a stretch for us um, to do that with our trademarks and our patents, and now. Um, to date, we actually do own all of our registered tra- trademarks on our brand name, on our logo, and obviously our utility patent. And the next few bras that I'm styling on and I'm designing and working on will involve some additional patents. So I'm really excited about those things.
0: So the, the trademarking that you, you guys had done, was that what helped you with the, the, the I guess, the, um, the legal issues that you had yeah. run into?
1: Mm. 100%. Yep. Yep, 100.
0: percent Now regarding the uh, the patent that you had uh, set up, how did you know that you? Well, I guess for the the patent and the trademark, how did you know that you needed this? Like, did you notice anything about the industry that you were in, or like if someone out there is listening and they're like, you know, I don't think I need any of these things? Like, what can they look out for to determine if they actually should go after getting a patent or a or trademarking their their brand?
1: again i 'm definitely not an expert in that area i 've taught myself pretty well and we 've learned along the way um I, you don 't need a patent you know we had a lot of people tell us you don 't need a patent to do this. Um, we just felt that if we were going to play in the space that we wanted to play in, which was building a brand that eventually would be i mean we, we are building you know then I believe one of the next greatest you know mm-hmm. fitness apparel companies so Due to that, I wanted to make sure that we had a leg to stand on. I knew that once this product hit the market that they're probably, I don't think we're very far away from seeing another brand come out with a similar type of uh, bra like we're doing, which is why we felt it was smart to spend the money on the patent so that we could have leverage with that down the road. And so that's why we decided to do it. Um, You know, even when we were pitching in the tank, um, you know, when we we made the deal with Damon, there was a lot of banter back and forth with Lori and Damon around um, the whole patent question. And, you know, he had even said, listen, I've built, you know, a a very lucrative brand with T-shirts. I didn't go do anything new. I just did something different and better. And so what he was trying to say to Lori is, I'm not hinging my decision on whether this patent is strong or it's not, or they get it or they don't. Because at the time when we mm-hmm. pitched, we had just gotten the approval of the patent. And she was questioning you know, whether we had or not. And so I think there's a lot of things to say around what Damon said, because I think it's true. I don't think that you know, you need the patent. Looking back, I don't think we needed it either. Um, but, It was just something that I felt like if we were going to pursue moving this into the catapult brand that I know that we can grow this to be, I wanted to have that leverage. Because you never know. You have to be smart as an entrepreneur. I have no plans of an exit strategy. Um, I have no plans uh, of a buyout. But I'm also not going to be naive and stupid and say that's not an option. I think if that is an option for us at some point, if it is, I have no intentions of it being so. But if it is, I think we have a much stronger case with a patent, for sure.
0: Mm, makes a lot of sense. It's one of those things, like insurance, where you don't need it until you really do need it, and then that's when you really need, really want to have had it. I so, agree.
1: And to be honest, the other thing is, is every time we talk with an investor, when we were in the tank, when we've talked with other VCs, I can tell you this is the one thing that is asked very early on. Do you have a patent? Because I think they see value in it as well.
0: Does it? Does it matter then if you are in that provisional patents stage? Does that also give you any weight at all when it comes no, to I talking? Don't,
1: I don't think it gives you any weight. I just think that it shows that you're smart enough to have started the groundwork mm-hmm. to get the patent started. Right. Because if sense. you don't, if you don't have the money, um, the provisional gives you at least 12 months to come up with it and at least protects you at that date. So when we, you know, if, if something ever down the road comes, we, we, you know, we have an extra 12 months, you know, on us to prove when we actually started this concept.
0: Mm, okay. Makes a lot it just sense.
1: gives us buying time. The provisional just really gives you buying time.
0: Right. Cool. So let's uh, go back to the, the very beginning then of you, of you starting the I guess the Kickstarter campaign. So you said that you drove back and forth for multiple years, twenty versions of the Abroad before going to Kickstarter. How did you know that it was ready? Like you know, I think this is a stage that a lot of entrepreneurs are in the cycle that they're into, where they spend many years, like you were, in their lab or you know on their side in a side job or as as a side project, trying to build something and iterating over iterating over it. And maybe they never come out with it. So, How did you know that it was ready to go and to put out onto like, you know, the stage like Kickstarter?
1: You know, it's a really good question because here's the thing. I think a lot of people, um, really, you, there's never really a, a right time, right? It's just like, when you talk about mm-hmm. having a baby, like there's just never really a right time. Like mm-hmm. if the, uh, if the, if it presents itself to you, then you have to run with it. One of my things was I didn't want to launch something that I wouldn't put my name, that I wouldn't stamp my name behind, right? Um, And so I wanted to make sure that when my product was ready to go, it was at least better than the majority of the other options on the market. And at the time, as funny as it is, my... Awful looking prototype was better than any other product that I could find on the market, and I'm a fitness competitor. I'm a, I do a lot of fitness modeling. I, I, I try on some of the, the the best fitness gear. I have access to a lot of that stuff. So, I the prototype that I was wearing was better than anything on the market that I had worn up to that point. So I knew that if it if if I had had it at that level, then if I could just get it to other consumers, that they'd probably agree. It probably Still, would have a lot of um, improvements that we can make. But I listened to a lot of podcasts. I, I read a lot of books back in the time when I was doing this. I listened to a lot of videos. I did a lot of research. And some of the best, um, some of the best advice that I had that I had gathered from that is that perfection is the killer of innovation. Hmm. So hmm. I could perfect that, and I'll tell you, I did because even before launching the Kickstarter campaign, I think we could I could have launched this company a couple years prior to if I right. would have just went with it as is but I kept trying to perfect it. I'm doing that now. Our th- our our third version of our bra has just come in and I'm already like I want we can change this. We can change that. We can change this. It'll be better. And everybody keeps saying to me and the customers are saying it loud and clear is this is the best thing that I've ever put on. Holy mackerel. Like why hasn't something like this existed? The concept of the adjustability is actually quite simple. Whenever I show it to anybody or like when we pitched it in the tank or when anybody sees it, they're like, my gosh, this is so simple. Like why didn't anybody think of this before? But some of the best products are actually the most simple products. Um, And so I would say there's never really a good time. um, When you feel like the product is better than what's on the market, then you need to run with it. Because I do feel like I wish we would have launched a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. I could have always innovated from there. But the more you try to perfect it, the more it's going to keep you from actually launching it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you learned a lot, too, during that Kickstarter, when when you launched the Kickstarter, because then you were actually putting in front of potential customers. And I'm sure they asked you a lot of questions that you maybe didn't think about before or that definitely kind of refocused you on things that mattered more than you thought originally.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I I would say that if you're going to run a, you know, Indigo or, you know, a Kickstarter campaign or, you know, any crowdfunding campaign of that type... I would I would utilize that information as much as you can. I mean, I as much as I could uh, soak those those early on customers for information. I did. Uh, we immediately implemented uh, you know the reviews with even our Kickstarter campaign because our Kickstarter customers um, in, in, 2013, that was a soft launch for us. The whole year of 2013, it was a complete soft launch year. All we were doing was getting feedback, gathering feedback, going back to the drawing board, looking for manufacturers, making it better. Um, and, and we used that whole year, um, of that soft launch to do that. And, um, I would go back to customers and I would offer them a discount on the next bra if they would give me some more feedback, you know, um, I eventually pulled a good handful of them and we did a lot of testing and stuff and, um, you know, gathered some really good insight. And um, so I, I would definitely suggest you do that before you go into a full launch. We, it's 2016, and to be honest, we had the whole year of 2013 as our soft launch. We ended up getting, uh, We had a tweet go out from a Weight Watchers editor in that Kickstarter bra, which was huge for us. And then we ended up getting um, featured on The Doctors, which was huge for us as well that year. And all of that, coupled with the fact that our manufacturer just ended up being not what he said he could be, um, kept us from bringing in. When we had bras in, they were gone. We were constantly sold out of bras. So we moved into... uh, the year of 2014 with the same manufacturer getting us a couple thousand bras here and there. And it was another slow year for us because they couldn't keep up with the demand of what we were selling. And so it wasn't really until last year, until last year, um, in 2015, it was actually August of 2015. We had just been featured on the today show. And, um, our product had finally come in, our first round of product had finally come in from, from um, our, our new manufacturer and it was 6,000 units at the time. It was almost, it was almost double what we had done the previous year with our other manufacturer. And we really took a leap at that point. We said, okay, we're, that was when we decided to officially launch the brand was in conjunction with our today show launch. And, um, we sold our, we sold in 45 days, m- the majority of our product, um, prior to stepping onto the shark tank, uh, uh, carpet, which was in September. So it was, um, it was a huge pivotal point for us when we realized that, holy cow, the soft flots phase, the Kickstarter phase, and then all of 2015, just, waiting for these bras to come in and selling what we were able to sell based on what the manufacturer, it was huge
0: that must have driven you crazy that you had all this demand but you just couldn't get the supply into because it was just like you're saying they're selling out so quickly that i mean as a as a business owner that would drive me crazy that man I, there's so much money that's being left on the table so many people want this product but i can't get enough of it made
1: That has been so frustrating. It's still our it's our problem now. We're just on. I mean, I know we'll have to back up. I apologize. I'm getting ahead, but you know, just being on Shark Tank um, less than two and a half months ago sold us out of everything we had previously ordered before we before we knew we were even going to be on Shark Tank. Um, ABC contacted us and told us we were going to air, and we had just placed our order for our 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 our. Uh, next batch of bras coming in and then Shark Tank ended up selling us out of all of those bras and they're just now still coming in. We just found out we're going to re-air again and we just, we just placed <laughs> our reorder the other day And two days after our reorder, we found out they were going to re-air us again. So that has been, obviously, um, one of our biggest problems from day one has been manufacturing and finding someone to keep up. But we've finally gotten that under control, and we are working through those hurdles. And I feel like after we get this nest batch in and we take care of all of our Shark Tank customers, we'll have some smooth sailing. We've lost out on a lot of opportunity. A lot of opportunity. I haven't been able to open up as many retail accounts as I've wanted to open up. I haven't been able, we've had to pull back the reins on our advertising spend and right now the only place we spend money on with advertising is Facebook ads that's another place we return over 8 per 800% ROI with our Facebook ads it's some of the mo- the best numbers that any company that we've worked with has seen from Facebook, um, our our return on investment and our, uh, our, our click through rate, all of it, it's the lowest that any company that we've ever worked with with Facebook ads has ever seen. We've got a phenomenal product. The problem is, is we just, we just need to get it in stock so that we can really, um, really run full speed with our digital strategy and our retail and wholesale strategy. But we haven't been able to because the demand keeps selling us out. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you see all these things that you could be doing that actually you know that are not risky, that are going to guarantee a ROI that's going to be worth the time, but you just don't have. But the things that you are that are required just kind of out of your control. How do you grapple with this, like mentally? Like you're thinking, man, there's just all these things all these things I could do for the company and all these things I could do to generate positive ROI, but it's just not the right timing yet. Like, how do you not yeah. be impatient? I guess.
1: Okay, that's really good cuz I can hear my I can hear some of my staff like probably laughing impatient. That's I'm so impatient. I want everything yesterday. I'm a very aggressive, that's how I've always been in my sales job. That's why I always do well in with, with every company I've ever been with. Um, I, I am super aggressive and when you give me a task or when I put a task on my plate, I, I do not stop until I achieve it. And um, it has been really hard because we are missing out on a lot of opportunity. There's been a lot of opportunity. We almost had to pass up Shark Tank. Wow. We almost had to pass up Shark Tank because they wanted us to tape in um, June and we could not at the time because we were waiting for our inventory to arrive in August. And, um, th- that's been our MO since we've launched our brand is we've, we've had to, we've, uh, there's so much opportunity you are missing out on. Um, we deal with collegiates, you know, we have collegiate accounts. We have so much opportunity with our collegiate accounts, with our retail accounts with big box chains, and we can't do any of it right now. Um, You know, our biggest thing is we don't want the growth to put us out of business either. We know that Mm. we have to have slow, controlled growth. And so slow, controlled, methodical growth is going to come with us making the right decisions internally, um, which, by the way, we have a phenomenal team. That's a whole other thing we need to talk about. But we have a phenomenal team, and we need to make the right decisions that will keep us from growing too fast because, at the end of the day, we have one priority, and that is to take care of our customers. And right now, a lot of our customers don't think that you know we're doing a very good job because they're, they're constantly having to wait for our product. And they're waiting. That's a crazy thing. We have people that will wait. When we launched Kickstarter, we had people that waited six months to get their product because our manufacturer... you know, kind of dropped us on on our butts, um, and we had people that waited. And so we we want to make sure that first and foremost, we're always doing the right thing by the customer. And there's no way I'm going to go open up a retail account or a collegiate account before I take care of you know our our customer, our customers that are waiting for their products or our current vendors. You know, we have we have a lot of current retail accounts, and we cannot even fill their fill in orders right now because they're selling them so fast. So before we scale and bring on new new, new retailers and new collegiate accounts and new anything, we have to make sure we're taking care of the ones we currently have and that we can take care of them and grow appropriately. And that has been very hard. Um, now that we've had Damon's team on board, they've definitely been able to come in and, and help streamline some of the manufacturing. Um, but we're definitely still leading the ship and um, we've exhausted rather quickly that... Um, they're going to be working with our manufacturers, as opposed to us working with their manufacturers. So they're coming in, really um, helping to guide us. And you know, we've been taking advantage uh, by a lot of our our manufacturers for a long time. We're, you know, we didn't know this space. They could clearly catch on to that very fast. So mm-hmm. as well as we've done on our own, we now have um, you know s- some backup help on on their end to kind of try to drive that message home that there's no more taking advantage, and we're moving forward. And if you want to be a part of this, then you you know, you need to step up your game and show us that you can you can make it happen. So we now have um, a couple factories that are making our bras simultaneously. And that's been a really big asset as we move forward.
0: Yeah, that must be amazing to have that new added leverage that you didn't have before. And one thing you're saying was that, that what really he stood out to me was that growth can put you out of business. So can you say a little more about this? Like, what did you mean by that? You know, because oh, yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs think, man, I can't wait to be growing really fast and bringing all these sales in. But you're saying that if you don't, almost have like um, a slower drip on it or yes. control that growth it can't put you out of business. So tell us more about what you mean like what are some examples of that happening?
1: Yeah, well, hundred percent. I mean, if you grow too fast and you can't keep up with the demand, you can't keep up with the orders. People just walk away. So, so you know, the thought is let's 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 grow slow and steady, so that once we finally now have have that consistent turn, we've got multiple manufacturers making bras, and we can split these orders and we can bring them in from different areas. Um, we can break down. You know, we we've got a couple big um, online uh, retailers that that could honestly have one whole dedicated line of our manufacturing uh, factory just to them. And so that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that before we bring on or promise too much and then lose out on that opportunity, that we grow that opportunity at the right pace so that when it gets to the point where we can then move on and get other accounts, we've taken care of those accounts and we know we can scale with those accounts. The worst thing to do is to take on accounts and not be able to scale with them. I mean, we're talking about some really big accounts. If you Miss one order if you don't bring the order in on time. If you can't refill those orders after you get that product in, they're not going to come back to you. You're you're out. You're done.
0: So it sounds like it almost comes down to that. If you're growing too fast, you might lose the trust of people that have given you the trust because you usually only get one shot at making it or not making it right. But like, you get one shot at doing it right. With these, you know, big uh, wholesale accounts, or even with individual customers, if you're growing too fast, you might not be able to uh, satisfy them. I guess, and then now you've lost that trust, and they probably might never come back. Is that what you mean by when you yeah, say?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And the other thing is too, when you're growing like that, that means you're paying for inventory. Hmm. You know, two of the, the the biggest things that that can kill you as a business owner or as a business is inventory and people. And um, you know, we 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 don't want to bring on. Inventory and be sitting on inventory, you know, just because we think something's going to happen, we feel like it, we already know it's going to happen. We want to make sure that we're that we're that we're, you know, steering the ship in terms of how quickly it's happening, because we don't want the inventory to to sink us, bankrupt us. I mean, put us out of business because inventory inventory can do that.
0: Yeah, So just to summarize your Shark Tank experience, I think you end up raising uh, $250,000 for 33% again from Damon. And you mentioned that one of the biggest benefits that you got out of this relationship is that his team came in and helped you streamline your manufacturing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like what are some maybe tips or things that they were able to implement for you that maybe the listeners can also use for their own businesses?
1: you need to, I, the whole Shark Tank process is definitely, um, not, it's been different than uh, what you see on TV. Yeah. Uh, and it, it does take some time to move through the process. We're still, you know, we're still moving through the process. But early on, I think, especially after the show aired, I think it not only showed um, him credibility or his team credibility and what we have going on, but it validated the fact that, hey, they're onto something here. I mean, our, our, um, what happened after Shark Tank was huge for us. I mean, we knew we knew we had a good product. I think they knew we had a good product. But the customers spoke loud and clear, and so um, very quickly. Then after that, we we were able to gain a little bit more access. Um, Pretty early on, he put us in touch with his um, manufacturing/sourcing team. I call them, and uh, they just were able to you know teach us teach us a few things. You know, this whole inventory debacle, like I told you about. You know, they they cautioned us on bringing in too much. Even even after we found out we were going to air on Shark Tank, and we had already put our order in, we were contemplating. uh upping the order before before we aired. And um they highly advised us, you know, not to do that because you never know what's gonna happen. And if you end up sitting on all that inventory, you know, it can be detrimental. Um, so you know, The other thing is our product is very intricate, and they learned that very early on when they tried to see if their manufacturers could make our product. Um, the product's really intricate, so we had to make sure, and they agreed, that we were partnering with the right factory that, that legitimately could make this product and could make it right and wasn't going to cut corners. And so that's why we had decided at the time to stick with our manufacturers and to bring in um, Damon's team to really kind of basically... What they did is they kind of come in and they took over the reins of the manufacturing and we're sitting back and we're learning from them. We're not Mm -hmm. taking a back seat. We're not walking away. I want to learn the ins and outs of all of this this side of it when it comes to manufacturing because we want to bring this in 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 house eventually. And so um, we've just been really lucky because we get to learn with them. Um, they picked up and went to China and uh, went to overseas with with uh, uh, Bob, and um, we're able to teach them the ins and outs of the factories and how it works. And so there's just been a lot of things that they've been able to kind of fast track us on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing is just taking advantage of the opportunity when you have the opportunity whether it's mentors whether it's um you know other investors uh whatever it may be to take the opportunity to take your learning curve and shorten it as much as you can
0: yeah so i mean are you comfortable are you comfortable talking about like what was the issue that you had with the manufacturer at the time and like what did damon's team come in and like actually fix for you guys well our
1: our biggest thing has just been um, the taking of av- getting taken advantage of. You know these these factories that do this stuff. They've been doing this for since cent- family after family after decades, right? And a lot of these mm-hmm. factories are owned um, by fam other families that have now taken over the business. And so, um, you know, they there's yeah we, we they were taking advantage of us for for sure um they were pushing our lead times they were charging us more every mm-hmm. time I turned around. there was a new charge for this there was a new charge for that um so we're definitely getting taken advantage of not only that, but i don't I don't think they took us as seriously. um We were starting out with with smaller orders as orders that we could afford um It wasn't until we started placing the bigger orders and we uh had the help from Damon's team to kind of come in and talk to them at their level. My problem is and even Bob's problem is. You know, we don't have manufacturing experience. We didn't Mm -hmm. go to school for manufacturing. So it's very hard to talk with a a manufacturer or a factory at their level when you're basically as green as it can get. You know, we were working with an agent prior to getting this deal with uh, Shark Tank. We were working with an agent, and they literally dropped us, like walked away right in the middle of of an order. And we had to pick up the pieces and figure out how to bring that order in. Uh, Luckily, we did that, but we learned so much along the way. That experience taught us so much about the manufacturing process because we had to pick it up and we had to figure it out. What we're doing now at Damon's team is um, letting them, you know, steer the ship while we're still learning from them so that eventually we can, you know, take it all, take it all over and bring it in-house. But the most of the problems really stemmed from the fact that we were taking advantage of. um, There were things that they were doing that that they would probably only do to somebody who didn't really understand uh, the manufacturing side of the business, if you will. And so his team really came in and just had a really strong tongue with them, um, wasn't letting things slide the way that we kind of were because Mm -hmm. we thought that was how it had to go. Um, and so I think those are some of the the biggest things is, is picking up those pieces for sure.
0: Yeah. So I guess they knew the ins and outs that only comes with experience. And because you guys didn't have that experience, they came in and basically told you like how things were actually working, like where you're getting taken advantage of and like where you can push back on things. That makes yeah. a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And you know, she, the thing is, is, you know, they had told us too, I mean, They reiterated the fact that we had done, and I have to pat ourselves on the back, my team too, because we've done a phenomenal job to get it where it's at right now. With the lack of manufacturing experience, it's it's amazing that we've been able to bring this product to market given how intricate it is because we've been turned down by so many factories because of the intricacy of the product, and they want us to change it and do this and do that, but then it changes it to be back to what's more, to what everybody else is doing. The intricacies of our product is what makes us unique. And so, um, you know, his team reiterated the fact that we've done a phenomenal job getting to this point. We didn't really need much help. We just needed them to come in and really kind of put that strong tongue down and, uh, you know, crack the whip and let them know hey, we're not messing around anymore. We're here to stay. If you want our business, then you need to do it right and do it right and get it done in a timely fashion or else we're moving on. And I think just that message alone um, has, has allowed us to progress with these, with these manufacturers for, for sure.
0: I love it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your team. You mentioned that you have a, you know, a phenomenal team helping to run this entire business. Give us an idea of like, you know, who's on the team, like what kind of roles you have filled in and, and what, what do they do?
1: Yeah, so we all still wear a lot of hats. Um, unfortunately, uh, I think we're, we're not very far away from streamlining those roles a little bit more. But right now, we all wear a lot of hats. Um, I, I'm in charge of a lot of the sales and the creative and the design and um, a lot of the back and forth stuff with the factories. Um, Bob is in charge of all the financial stuff, you know, all the invoicing, the POs, the logistics of the shipping in and out, the taxes, the duty, the freight. I and mean, There's so much that comes into that side of it. And then we've got uh, another gentleman. His name's Chris. He's amazing. Um, He's a jack of all trades too. He's kind of our IT guy, our branding uh, guru. Uh, He does a lot of our marketing. Uh, He works in conjunction with our social media team. So we have an outsourced uh, social media team. Uh, They run all of our uh, content. So they do our content for like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. They do that. So Chris works a lot in conjunction with them. Um, we have another outsource team that does, um, so our social media team, 834 design, they're amazing. And then we do, uh, our Facebook ad spend and our strategy and all of our digital impl- implementation along with our website build with uh, Hawk media. Um, and they're amazing as well. And so Chris kind of does a lot of back and the forth with them. So we outsource, um, that that Facebooking uh, aspect of it that drives our sales and then obviously our, our IT stuff, we outsource the social media stuff. Um, they're dabbling in some of our PR. They've done an amazing job with our PR, 834 has as well. And then internally the team is Bob, myself, and Chris. And then we also have another uh, girl that we've just hired out of college, Liz, and she runs our shipping department. I was running all the shipping and doing everything on my own for quite some time, and that's finally been really nice to be able to employ someone that does all the shipping. So she does all the returns in the exchanges, all the cleaning of the bras, all the shipping of the bras. Um, She does all of that stuff, and then we also uh, rotate through three interns. We have three interns that have actually been. Uh, quite amazing. Um, they answer phones. Uh, they, they help with PR. They help with branding. Um, they, they help with a lot of stuff. So the interns have been really great. Right now, all of us are just focused on shipping and getting product out that's, come, that's coming in from uh, Shark Tank. So all that stuff is coming in in batches. So we all kind of sit around the clock and, and ship and then go back to our jobs. Um, we also just hired an additional person. We're really excited about her. She's going to be doing a lot of our logistics, um, and our, uh, customer service side of things. Our customer service is starting to get really, really, uh, overwhelming for just one person. So we've decided to hire her on and she's going to be taking care of that. So, uh, you know, our team is quite amazing. Um, one thing that, you know, advice I got really early on is to put the right people in place first. You know, don't worry so much about the plan, but put the right people in place and the right people will help you get to the plan. And so um, I feel like we're doing a really good job of putting the right people on the bus. Um, And, you know, we're still rather small. But um, we know internally that you know if someone's not fitting or it's not jiving, that the best thing to do is just to you know get them off the bus and put mm. someone you know better in in the seat. And that's just you know unfortunately uh, how you have to run your business if you want to get to where you want to go.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I, mean, I wish I had more time to talk about your scaling up because you've grown, you've grown the company by a ton. It sounds like with your with your team. Um, but I think one thing I want to I want to close out on is just uh, you mentioned earlier that I bet the listeners are asking talking to myself, saying, I want Felix to ask this question is about your Facebook ads. You said that you had crazy ROI. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like What have you guys done that you think has made that big difference for you to, to generate such a positive ROI from your Facebook ads?
1: Well, I'll have to say, I've, um, as much as I'd like to take credit for it, I, I, we, we internally have outsourced that. Um, we, we dabbled with that a little bit internally and did really well with it. In fact, mm-hmm. you know, if I could put that responsibility back in uh, Chris's plate, he did, he did great with that. I mean, whenever we run Facebook ads, they do really well. Um, however, we, we do outsource that and they, they have their own algorithm. Um, we, we actually, <laughs> you're going to laugh, we spend about $200 a day uh, right now um, just on Facebook ads. That's, all, that's about what we spend with what we know we can keep up with. Um, we'll be increasing our spend once we know that we have product in and we can push it out a little bit quicker. Um, But Facebook ads alone has been what has kept our company running Um, With the exception of Shark Tank that just came only two and a half months ago, um, we've done all of our sales on Facebook alone. Um, And I think the reason it does so well is because it's a product that resonates with so many people. Um, It it is literally is a problem with a lot of women. And um, we're really tongue-in-cheeky with our ads. Um, we, we uh, you know, we're, we're very tongue-in-cheeky with the fact that, you know, women have boobs and they're not going anywhere. And so we like to, you know, that, that is really the voice of our brand. And uh, we, we don't like to play it safe. We like to be real. And um, our, I think that shows in the content that um, runs with our ads. Um, when you see our pictures, when you see the pictures that run with our ads, uh, they're very visual. They explain, You can look at the ad and know right away, wow, that bra is different. It's unique. Holy cow, uh, that could actually work for me. And so I think um, the, the what we do visually, what we do with our content, and how um, they set it up all – works into the fact that it does very, very well. they'd probably never share their secret sauce with us i don't I don't think they would tell us you know how they're how they're uh, you know running those ads because then we could probably do it internally here um but they do a really good job and every every company that we've actually done our Facebook ads with has done a, has done an amazing job. we've turned back some amazing roi so I mean just within the last I bet you I would venture to say um, within the last Two months, just on Facebook ads, we've spent fifteen, so one five, spent fifteen thousand dollars and returned over one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. So that's in two months, and that's just on running two hundred dollars a day because we can't run more than that right now because of the fact that we we we're waiting for our product to come in. So we can't wait to release those guys and um, see see what they do with our digital strategy. I think it's going to be quite amazing.
0: That's awesome. So, thanks so much, Sarah. So, SheFit.com is a website, S H E F I T.com. Anyone else you recommend our listeners go and check out? If they want to follow along with what you guys are up to?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, our blog is amazing. We share some amazing stuff on our blogs everything from health to fitness to beauty um, and, and nutrition. Um, our Instagram is amazing. Get get on our Instagram if you want a quick workout regimen, if you want a quick workout uh, move, a recipe, a shake. Um, we, we share some great stuff on there. That's uh, SheFit Apparel um facebook our facebook is great i'll tell you follow she fit apparel we will help you with dinner we'll help you with your workouts um that's great our pinterest is great too that's uh she fit sports bra um twitter is she fit we do we just all of our social media we really try to do a really good job of just just providing some amazing content so if you're not following us in there follow us in there check out our blogs website is shefit.com. and yeah i think that's i think that's it
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today,
1: visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.